Welcome to the Health Styles Podcast. And in today's episode, we are talking all about pelvic floor. To help me discuss this topic, I am joined by Vanessa, who is known as Core Strength Mama on Instagram. Vanessa is a pelvic floor physiotherapist and postnatal fitness expert who is on a mission to show mums how to stop peeing their pants, which I love. And a big welcome to the show, Vanessa. And I'd like to begin this episode with how you arrived at being an expert in pelvic floor. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I'm so happy that you're Australian because it makes the conversation so much more fun <laughs> just to hear your accent, but that's just well, a I'm, side note. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how I got into pelvic floor physiotherapy, why this became the thing that I love to do, how I found it. Um, it's a long backstory, but I'll kind of sum up to the point that I knew that I wanted to work with women in some capacity. Back in the day, I thought it had to do something with more the, the medical field. What I discovered along the way of figuring out what I really wanted to do, what my passion was, I found uh, physiotherapy or physical therapy. And during my degree, I actually was really surprised and happily surprised to find that there was a developing need for particularly women's health and talking about pelvic floor and how physiotherapists were playing a large role in helping women to rehabilitate their inner core and their pelvic floor. So something that I always felt drawn to do to help women in some capacity, I just didn't know what it was. And then when I found this, I found that that was just sort of what I fell naturally into. And so it's taken uh, a few years to study about it. And I've been doing it for about seven years now, I think. So it's something that I, I, I really love to do. I think it helps women on so many different levels. And it's just nice to feel like it's not just helping them with a few little minor things. It's something that the pelvic floor has to do with so much more. It can take a mental toll on a lot of people. So fixing what seems like a simple problem to me can really mean a lifelong change for the woman that I'm helping. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like a lot of things as well in the health industry, weight loss isn't just weight loss that may change someone's life. So that I can see how helping mums actually stop peeing their pants or with ab separation, all that sort of stuff like that is 100% life changing. So let's start right at the beginning. And can you tell us what pelvic floor actually means? Yes. Yeah. Pelvic floor is uh, one of those things people talk about, but they don't really know what it is. To sum it up, the pelvic floor is the floor of your pelvis. <laughs> so if you think about the two sit bones, pretty much your pelvic floor sits between those two spots. It works like a support for your organs. So it's kind of like a nice hammock that supports everything inside, but it also needs to be flexible enough to open up to allow things to come out, like having to go to the bathroom, whether it's peeping, peeping, peeing or pooping, <laughs> whether it's having children or whether it's having sex to have those children. So it's what it sums up is it's made up of muscles and some ligaments that then create the supportive structure that needs to be strong enough to support those organs, but also nice and flexible and adaptable to do the things that it needs to do. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a way for things to go out and come in and you need it to be strong enough and flexible enough for both of those things as well. Yes. And I think that's where it gets super complicated and why it's an area that really needs, uh, needs for us to especially address it because it needs to do both those roles and because we often don't see it or look at it like we do our arms and legs and our backs or anything like that. Absolutely. So in a world where we're actually obsessed with looking better, our appearance, being healthier and struggling with it all in the process because it's not an easy process, 
pelvic floor is the hidden thing that we all know is important, but don't actually know um, why we should be improving it if we do have um, problems or why we should even be aware of it. So can we talk a little bit about the benefits of why we should focus on our pelvic floor or at least be aware of it if we don't have symptoms? Yes, I feel like a lot of times it's one of those things that's neglected and to kind of lump it into other things, the pelvic floor is one of those stabilizer areas. We all have these small, tiny little muscles throughout our body that are meant to more stabilize and keep us in, for lack of a better word, in alignment in our proper positioning versus we have these big muscle movers like our quads or hamstrings our biceps or triceps. And those are the ones that we're always trying to work out because aesthetically they look really nice. But the stabilizer muscles, including the pelvic floor, are what make those muscles be able to work properly. So we might have nice, big, strong muscles that we can see, but on the inside, we might be almost falling apart. We might have bad shoulders. We might have bad hips, bad knees, if we don't have the proper stability of those muscles. So the pelvic floor is essentially part of the inner core muscles. So it's made up of pelvic floor, your inner abdominals, your inner back stabilizer muscles, the little tiny ones, and your diaphragm. You need to have good control of all four of those components of your core in order to have a nice strong middle. Because if we move back a touch, our anatomy is such that right in the middle, we're just a really skinny spine that's the only supportive structure that holds up the middle of our body, which is a lot of weight on top onto our legs. So we need to have a nice strong middle that's made up of these muscles to actually support us and allow us to be flexible and adaptable to do the things that we want to do. So for people who are trying to get fit, oftentimes we're neglecting these areas, but if we had a nice strong core and pelvic floor, then we'd actually probably be able to lift a little bit more we'd have less back injuries, we'd have less injuries of our joints. It actually allows us to support all those movements to, to essentially get those abs, to get, lose the mummy pooch. All that has to do with the inner core muscles. And we just tend to neglect it because we're going for the big gains when really we want to do is build the foundation before we go for the bigger things. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be not the sexy thing to do, but if you <laughs> lose it, that's when you're really going to notice. Like if you lose the health of that area, just like anything else, that's when it starts to become a really big issue in your life. Yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of people will speak about, um, even when I speak with people who are more heavy lifters, they don't have kids, but they start to have problems as they start to lift heavier and heavier because all the bad habits that they had early on are not showing up until they start to do bigger things. And then they have a problem and then they're starting to realize all the things that they didn't do earlier on. Yeah, absolutely. So could you run us through, and I know it's not a small list, but a <laughs> list of most the common symptoms that someone may be experiencing if they have a weak pelvic floor or some sort of dysfunction in that area? Okay. To summarize like pelvic floor dysfunction, it could be a weakness. It could be really tight muscles. It could be bladder issues. It kind of, it encompasses a lot of things but to give you the most common things of how to know if there's something going on down there is leaking especially when you're doing anything with effort so sneezing running jumping uh, heavy lifting uh, gymnasts often report leaking when they're doing their acrobatic movements uh, another symptom is that feeling like you have to every time you get off of work as soon as you get to the door you put your key in to unlock the door all of a sudden you really really have to go it's just almost this overflow of this urge and you have to go right then and it could happen either all the time when you get home from work or when you get to work or it just seems to follow a pattern 
You could experience any type of pain around the abdomen or around your thighs or around your glutes or your low back that's not attributed to anything else. So for instance, you could have seen a massage therapist, you could always kind of find these band-aid ways of fixing it, but it never really fixes the problem. That could actually be coming more from your pelvic floor. Those are the big common ones. Another one is for females, especially when they're uh, sexually active, they could have pain with sex. Or another symptom could be pain with even putting in a tampon. Then we're dealing with some other pelvic floor dysfunction that needs to be addressed. Beautiful. So how common is it for a weak pelvic floor for someone who hasn't yet had kids and maybe isn't a heavy lifter? Is is that something that most younger girls, I guess, are needing to just be looking out for? Or is it not really that common? Because that's something that I'm not 100% sure of myself either. Yeah. I can't say I know the statistics, but from experience, a week couple four isn't common in those before kids, but a tight pelvic floor is not infrequent. It does happen in the younger population, um, especially women who have not had children. So I will see girls who are in their late teens or their early 20s, and they talk about um, having sex for the first time or difficulty inserting their tampons or having other issues down there that they don't really know what's going on. And it's more a case of those pelvic floor muscles being too tight and causing problems. So too tight is also, also means that they're weak. They're not really healthy muscles. Um, doesn't mean that they're overly strong. So I see that more pre-kids versus the, the weakness. Yeah, absolutely. So with the weak muscles, if someone does have any of the symptoms, say that you're describing, or maybe they just know deep down that they should be getting it checked out, what's the next step they should do if they have not yet seen anyone or even sought help in this area? I'd have to say, as always, I have to tell everybody, like, you always want to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. It's just, it's a nice, clear way of getting an understanding of what's going on. Even just to educate yourself that things aren't 100%, but there's little things that you can work on. Or just that reassurance that everything is okay. But I I do often teach women, because I understand not everybody is close to a physical therapist. There's, we're lucky that in Australia and Canada, we do have a fairly good access to specialists. But in other areas, they could actually be very far apart and almost impossible to see. So in these type of cases where they start to feel some sort of weakness, I start to talk to them about how to really assess for it, how to complete a self-assessment to actually feel like you're actually controlling those muscles, that you're using them properly, and that you're actually relaxing them properly. And it just takes a little bit of guidance and cueing to get them to see that and understand that, and then teach them the very basic foundational exercises to start that. Yeah. Perfect. So do you do this on, like, can you do that sort of stuff online? Is that what you do or? So I work in both fields. I do do personal interactions, um, but I also do online world um, where I can kind of put the power more in, say for for instance, you, if you had a problem, I can kind of teach you what you should be feeling or what what it feels like when it's wrong and then teach you how to cue yourself to get working on those muscles again. Yeah, perfect. That's that's interesting to know as well because I think an online world for someone who's never even hired a coach even doesn't 100% know what is possible. So that's really good to know. So we've mm-hmm. sort of gone over um, after you've had a child and then also preconception, so you've never had a child. How does it differ with what you should be focusing on while you're actually pregnant? Yes, yeah, so I feel like... Um 
kind of to summarize pre-pregnancy, you just want to be aware of that area so that you have that power to know when things are wrong or when things are good. And knowing that in the future to have children, you know that you should be working on that. During pregnancy, it's more of a proactive, how to prevent any problems that should arise during pregnancy, during delivery, and then postpartum. So those types of things I'm teaching women are how to actively engage those muscles. What does it feel like to do it during first trimester, second trimester, third trimester? How to engage those muscles, how to relax those muscles, how to do a nice proper posture as best as you can during pregnancy to put those muscles in the best position to work the best. That's all setting like kind of the foundation so that once baby's born, they have an idea of what their body feels like and what it feels like to do these types of movements. Because usually what happens is right after a baby comes, women are super, super busy. They let these things slide and they forget what it's supposed to feel like to actually do what's called a pelvic floor contraction or a Kegel. But if they had all that knowledge during pregnancy, then they would just have a baby right after they'd be kind of be able to fall back into those exercises and work back to feeling that right type of contraction so they know they're working towards the good things again. Okay, so I know a lot of women who have become pregnant, had their baby, and then start to focus on the pelvic floor because that's when they first become even aware of it really. So what would be your advice to a woman if she was in that position? I'm guessing it's still the same to learn about it, but is she better off seeing you know, someone like you, especially because she's just had a child as well? I would say so um, in the sense that they're definitely not far behind. It's not like just because they didn't do it during pregnancy doesn't mean like, oh, you're lost cause. Yep. <laughs> it just means you have to work maybe a little bit harder, especially if you have the symptoms. And I usually tell every mom, some, some moms will say, well, I don't feel anything. I don't leak. I don't have any problems. And that doesn't mean that you're safe from everything. It just means that you probably haven't done the things that will aggravate your problems. So even if you're not really feeling symptomatic, if you've had a child, you should still go through all the steps. For you, it might be super simple to go like simple basics to right back doing a fitness routine versus someone else who's symptomatic might take a little bit longer to go through all the steps. Um, I usually suggest for women who have had children to be proactive or be as proactive as possible as you can and see a specialist because a lot of times moms are trying to work towards a fitness routine again, whether it's just being active with their kids or getting back to their gym routine or getting back to CrossFit or getting back to all the things they used to love, running even, but they don't necessarily have the support of knowing what it takes to go from having a child to building all that foundation to get back to the exercises you were doing before. Because your body is not the same after children. It could never be the same after children. It's just as if you've, I don't know, any type of injury that you've had, if you've hurt your, your knee, you'll never be the same knee. It's just impossible. You can just rehabilitate it to be the best that it could possibly be. And you need that understanding and someone to actually teach you how to go through that process. Perfect. So speaking of fitness routines, I've seen a lot of women jump into, you know, um, just programs they've downloaded off the internet, off Google that have jumping in it, running in it, burpees, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, that's, that's like six weeks after they've um, given birth. So even though they've been given clearance, they aren't completely understanding the easing their way back into it. And then they are seeing symptoms like leaking while they're jumping and doing sort of exercises like that. So if a woman was experiencing these types of symptoms, would you suggest that they continue to push through those exercises, which 
may not be that great for them? Or would you suggest them to back off from the exercises that cause these problems and to build their way up to them instead? Yeah, 100% the second option. <laughs> they need to back off those programs or those particular exercises that are causing the leaking. Um, so for instance, if it's jumping jacks, then we need to back off of it. We need to modify to get back to that. So for what it could look like is if it is jumping jacks, we'll take that example. It might be that opening position, like your feet apart, jumping in that position that might put you vulnerable. Maybe we start with just jumping two feet together. If it's two feet together that's causing the problem, maybe we start just going up and down on our toes and seeing if we can hold that pelvic floor contraction just prevent ourselves from, from leaking. So it's almost taking back and seeing how, how close we can get to that activity without causing the problem and even modifying reps, endurance, and seeing how close we can get to it and building up your pelvic floor strength while you're doing those exercises. And on the same note, you were talking about that the six-week clearance that many women are sort of waiting for that six weeks. So they know it's six weeks. It's that false myth that they could just go back to what they were doing before that's somehow healthy. Mm. Six weeks is really just because the, the massive hole in your uterus should be healed from having that baby. That's just, that, that's just one part of your body. It's just the uterus. We haven't dealt with the other parts of the body that are still coming back together because all of that needed to expand and make room for a child doesn't mean it pops back together in six weeks and now you can go right back to where life was before pregnancy. All those things still need to go, you need to work on to go back together before you get to all those things. Yeah, that's so important to note as well because it, it is confusing when the doctor says like you can, like, you know, you're healed, whatever, you can go do things and then us having to, especially someone who, you know, isn't in the fitness industry and is just trying to get back to losing some weight or being fit again. It's confusing as to knowing that you need to ease back into it and make sure you're looking after your body and not just focusing on that actual weight loss side of things. Yes. Yes. And I agree. Like it is really confusing because uh, we're lucky that we, we know about fitness and we know about certain things, but for somebody who doesn't, six weeks just seems like the doctor has the official checkoff for you. And to give a lot of credit to the doctors, they know a ton of stuff, but sometimes they just don't, they don't know fitness. And that's a kind of conversation between you and your physician and all the other support that you have around you. Yeah. And that's where someone like you comes in, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So mind and muscle connection is important for any exercise that we're doing. So how do we know we're correctly feeling our pelvic floor? And are there any cues that you can give our listeners to help locate what they should actually be feeling? Yes, 100%. Um, this is super important because as we kind of talked about, the pelvic floor is hidden. We don't really see it. It's not like I can tell you to do something from across the room and watch your form while doing it. I won't be able to, to tell. And in fact, if you're doing any Kegels, nobody who's looking around you should be able to tell that you're actually doing it because it's in a very hidden spot. What I usually say, the, the big cues that I always use are, one, uh, imagine as if you're stopping yourself midstream of going pee. There's a kind of front squeeze. And then you can imagine as if you're stopping yourself from passing gas, that contraction feels a little bit more towards the back. And then if you try both those together, you can feel it feels more front and back together. The pelvic floor is interesting in the sense that all these muscles work together. We can't really isolate just the right side, just the left side, just this muscle out of the five of them or something like that. They all work together. We can just kind of focus the concentration in a little bit of different spots. 
really when we're doing these pelvic floor contractions, what we wanna do is make sure that we're squeezing the two halves together. So again, to go back to those sit bones, it's as if you're squeezing between those sit, sit bones, squeezing towards the midline, and then doing this upward pressure in towards your abdomen. That's the correct feeling of what you should be feeling. Sometimes people can get, get it wrong. They might feel squeezed together, but they don't pull in, or they might squeeze together and they might, might actually push out. The two parts of it are super important to actually do a nice, healthy pelvic floor contraction. Yeah, perfect. So just to clear up, what a Kegel actually is for my audience. Just, I know that that's a word that people associate with pelvic floor, but again, it's something that we don't entirely understand what it is. So just, I think that was a good question to follow that from. Yes. So a Kegel, I know, and I switch between them all the time. <laughs> and I forget, wait, not everybody knows that. Um, a Kegel is essentially a pelvic floor contraction. So the pelvic floor is made up of muscles. So just like we would contract a bicep muscle, the Kegel is just a, a word to specifically say a pelvic floor contraction. And it's for most people, it's when they're trying to do a couple of them in a row, say 10, for example, that's what someone would associate. I think mostly Kegels to be, is that right? I would say I've never actually heard that, okay. <laughs> surprisingly, but um, it's, I mean, the definition is so, it varies because it's just a word that we use pretty commonly. So what it could mean to you might be different than my definition, might be different than somebody else's definition. Um, so I try to use public floor contraction more than Kegel, so we're pretty, pretty clear in terms of what it is. Yeah. Um, but a Kegel should be one repetition of a public floor contraction. Okay, something I have to ask you about, and I have no idea what your answer is going to be to this, but I've seen a lot of women um, buying the Kegel balls. I'm sure they're called different things. So as a physiotherapist, you're the best person to ask, are these something that you know, actually work or is there something else that they should be focusing on instead? So there are tons of products out there for with the Kegel name or doing something along the, li the lines of like enhancing your sexual function or stopping yourself from, from leaking. There's all sorts of products out there that promote that. And what I'll say is for the Kegel balls and these types of equipment or accessories, if you will, um, they're good for some people, but oftentimes I would say they're more used like a prescription from an actual public floor physical therapist. And that meaning a lot of times people see these Kegel balls and they think like, I'll just put it in and, and walk around and hold them in there because that's what it's supposed to do. But really that's like me telling you, okay, well, let's work on your bicep. So here's 50 pounds. I want you to curl it 90 degrees and hold that for a couple hours and we'll work on your strength. It doesn't really make sense. It's one part of the muscle's ability in terms of endurance. But when it comes to working on the pelvic floor, we're working on power, strength, and endurance. We don't necessarily need to use Kegel balls or need to use any type of equipment. Um, same with Yoni eggs, which I think is pretty popular these days. Yeah. You've heard of that? Yeah. Same idea. Um, and, but there are some other um, accessories that are what they're called like uh, Kegel trainers. So it's a, like a biofeedback tool where you insert something and has a little um, electronic device that goes, that attaches to it and it can sense when you're doing an exercise. But the only caveat with this type of equipment, I think the LV trainer is really, really popular. I've been asked a lot about that. It's a very, very useful tool when you're working on your Kegels, as long as you've confirmed that you're doing them properly. Because the problem with these biofeedback things, it's like a balloon that you're squeezing. 
So you can squeeze a balloon in many, many ways, but how do you know if you're squeezing the balloon the right way? And same goes with the Kegel. You can squeeze it properly doing a pelvic floor contraction, or you can just be applying pressure on it by doing that um, breath holding bearing down on it, and it would still read the same. So you wanna make sure that you're actually doing it properly before you use any tool like that too. Yeah, so just like a lot of other stuff that's on the market, we should be using that as a prescribed tool if our physician actually says that that's something we need and most likely be investing in a physician more than something like this because we need to know how, what we're actually doing before any of that sort of stuff's going to work for you anyway. Exactly, because you, try, you could be trying to work on a problem that you actually don't have, which could be solved by other exercises that wouldn't involve any equipment. Perfect. So when you were describing how to locate our pelvic floor and what that should feel like, you mentioned um, as though you were trying to stop your pee midstream. And I know that's a common, you know, sort of thing thrown around that people should actually be doing it in the bathroom. Is mm -hmm. that something that they should be doing on the toilet or is that something that they should just be using to be aware of where it is outside of the bathroom? Yes, you're so right that many people come to me and they are like, oh, well, I've been practicing while sitting on the toilet because we get told it's the, the same movement is like stopping ourselves midstream. So we start to practice that while we're peeing. And what I tell everybody is absolutely 100% do not do that as an exercise. <laughs> it really is a tool that you can test yourself with. So once in a blue moon, you can be sitting on the toilet and you can go, be going pee and try to stop yourself from like midstream. If you can, great. It seems like you're doing something right. But it's not something that if you have a problem, you should be working on all the time. Because the problem with that is if you keep doing that, you're sending the brain a signal that every time you go pee, your natural reflexes, you actually should be closing those muscles and, and cutting off the flow versus actually opening up and letting everything come out. So you don't want to mess with that kind of brain, bladder, pelvic floor connection. Yeah, perfect. That, I think that's a really good thing to note because I think so many people actually think that's what they should be doing to even locate it. And stopping your brain, like you said, from understanding that we're going to the bathroom right now, not working on using these muscles is a really important thing for us. Yes. Okay, so we talked a bit about tight pelvic floor and how a lot of those common symptoms um, are feeling pain during sex and putting a tampon in and that sort of stuff. So if someone was to have these types of symptoms, is it likely or at least possible that they may have to have internal work done? Yes, I'd say there are a portion of the population that... Um, even to come in to see a specialist, that internal work would almost be impossible for them because the muscles are just so tight and it is so painful for anybody to even do that. Um, for others, the severity can be a little bit less in the sense that it's tight, but they are able to manage internal work. And it's really, as I describe it, it's like a massage for the muscles. They just happen to be on the inside, <laughs> which is some people require that. And a lot of times um, as physical therapists, we try our best to work on making it something that you can do on your own. And there are lots of tools that we can use in terms of self-massagers that are more, they're very, very special equipment that you can use on your own to relax those muscles on the inside. Um, because like all physical therapy, we try to put the tool in, in your hands versus always having to rely on us to, to treat the symptoms. Yeah, perfect. So I just wanted to touch on that because I know that a lot of women don't even know that that's an option 
if they do have tight pelvic floor. And I think that being told that face to face by a physician or someone could absolutely (laughs) stop them in their tracks and they wouldn't be aware that that was something that they may have to have done. So what's your advice for the women who struggle with the idea of internal work, that it's too invasive and she most likely never going to make an appointment? Yes. Um, it's funny because I actually had this discussion with uh, an occupational therapist of mine who works specifically with the pelvic floor and her role and her position is she doesn't do any internal work, but she does do a lot of the work pre these type of appointments. Um, Cause we don't have a, we don't have a very good understanding of, of necessarily helping these women a hundred percent in the sense that traditionally physiotherapists will kind of just dive right in and try to attack the problem. And that scares a lot of people. And it's really, really intimidating to think that the thing that causes you the most pain is exactly what they're going to do to try to help you. There's a lot of things that can be done um, non-invasive. For instance, I was, a lot of times these type of therapies take a little bit longer to deal with, but we don't have to be, we don't have to dive right in there. There are tons of things that can be done externally, even around the abdomens and your thighs actually help the problem and to work on a lot of mindset work and a lot of the anxiety that comes around with dealing with the idea of internal work or dealing with the idea of this oncoming pain. It's just a bit of a different treatment and a lot of times people are a little bit confused by that because they don't understand how that is supposed to help them. Um, But it is an excellent tool in terms of helping them still deal with the problems of their pelvic floor without causing them pain, without causing the anxiety, because that's not necessary. Yeah, perfect. In regards to, I know you work a lot with mums, but I know you mentioned earlier, and I, I didn't pick this up then, that a lot of people who have tight pelvic floor, you know, it may be happening around some of the first times they've had sex, like when they're younger. Mm-hmm. How would a younger girl know if this is just, you know, the normal sort of pain from their first time or first few times to maybe this is something I should actually get looked at because I may have a tight pelvic floor. It's hard because it's, it's on an individual basis. Um, really comes down to often the women that I'm seeing are the ones who've had a reliable partner. So someone who has been there for some period of time and they consistently have this problem. And usually they come to see me when um, there's going to be a baby involved or they want to have children, in which case it's becoming a lot of problems because they can't go through the process to actually have a child. Yeah. Which is tough. And that's where the emotional kind of toll comes in. I will say that what I see in terms of pattern is that it's a consistent pattern. It's not like well, if it's been a certain amount of foreplay, then I'm fine. Uh, you could try tons of different tools, and especially in, in young girls who are just starting to become sexually active, but it's, if it's still a problem and if it's painful or if it's, you can't even experience penetration, then there is a problem. Any type of pain that really lasts beyond the first second handful of times, then it's something that would, especially with the same partner, would actually have to be addressed because chances are that you're just not using those muscles effectively to their full capacity and oftentimes these women are told we'll just relax <laughs> that's probably one of the hardest things that I've, I've heard from these women is that they've dealt with years of people to t- telling them that they don't have a problem that they just need to relax and that becomes even more of an emotional toll on them that just puts them further and further yeah so I would so say I think- for those girls 
Yeah. Yeah, No, you're right. Go for it. (laughs) For those girls, it's really just telling them when it's painful and when it's a consistent pattern, don't wait the years. If it's just the first three times, even go see someone, it's worth it to get an idea of what's going on down there before you sort of keep trialing and having more and more pain. Because the more experiences of pain that you have, the more likelihood that you're going to make the problem even worse. I think, yeah, it's such an important topic to talk about, especially, you know, some of these girls might be younger or just, you know, sex isn't talked about as openly as I think it should be, because if you don't know, you don't know. And if we aren't talking about it, how are we supposed to learn anything? So Mm -hmm. if they are going to see someone, and I know this is going to differ from like maybe different countries, but are they seeing a doctor first or can they come for the most part straight to a pelvic floor physiotherapist? I believe Canada and Australia are the same. Um, I would have to speak specifically for Canada. I don't know 100% about Australia. In Canada, uh, physiotherapists are seen as primary care providers, meaning we can be the first entry point to the healthcare system. So if someone does feel like they have a problem, they can come directly to see a physiotherapist. They don't need a doctor's note. Uh, That being said, there's always the extended health benefits where in which case if you're looking to use your insurance and it's always looking at the paperwork and seeing do you need a doctor's note and everybody's will will be different depending on the provider yeah absolutely yeah no i think that someone can go straight to a physiotherapist in australia it wouldn't be any different for pelvic floor i'm presuming so it'd be the same because it's like we're both it's we're we're physiotherapists we're just like the bigger umbrella the smaller little umbrella is the pelvic floor and oftentimes it makes people feel more comfortable because then they don't have to speak to two people about their very intimate problems that they're having. No, I agree. And I would be the same, I'm presuming, if I was in this position. So we touched on this earlier, but I want to make it very clear to my audience that the pelvic floor is a part of the core area. And you did outline this, but could you outline again what makes up the core and how that differs from what we typically see the core as to be in just the normal fitness world? Yes, I would say there's a common misconception um, to use core in a variety of ways. And one way that I see core exercises are abdominal heavy. So things like uh, sit-ups, crunches, obliques, uh, planks, that type of stuff that's supposed to work those six-pack type of muscles versus when I speak about the core, when we talk about the inner core and the things that actually stabilize you, I'm more talking about the four things. And I always talk about this like a pop pop can analogy, and I always use this analogy. I don't know if it'll get old ever, but it works really well. (laughs) So there's four parts to the pop can. That's your, the middle of your body. The top part of the pop can is your diaphragm, which is absolutely important in creating the pressure inside your abdomen. The bottom part is your pelvic floor. The front of the can are those inner abdominal muscles. Usually we're talking about transversus abdominis. And the back part is the inner back stabilizer muscles, which we're often talking about multifidus or multifidi. Those all work together to create that nice, um, strong pop can or soda can, depending on where where you are. And that creates that pressure system inside. What happens uh, if you have a weakness or a weak part of that pop can then any type of pressure will go there versus being evenly divided. So if you have pelvic floor weakness, if you think about squeezing that pop can, the bottom of the pop can is just going to pop out. It could break. It could have something done to that part. Same with your abdominal area. If that part's weakest, you could end up with what's called a diastasis recti or abdominal separation, which doesn't have to happen due to pregnancy. It can happen for multiple reasons. 
So we always have to think about working on all those things in order to have a nice, strong, healthy core. Yeah, perfect. I love that. So what we typically see, you know, as core is someone would perceive it as the six pack that someone may have and that you're doing crunches and sit-ups and all that sort of stuff. And I know that women tend to, I've seen a lot of women lean towards those exercises straight after pregnancy because they want their stomach to change. So could you just tell us a little bit about why that isn't necessarily going to work first of all, and also is crunches and those sort of exercises actually something you should be doing straight after pregnancy? Yeah, I see it as well with women. They're, they're so desperate to kind of lose that tummy area. So they go right towards the heavy abdominal exercises because we think the harder the exercise is, the faster we'll get results. So things like you mentioned, crunches, sit-up, V-ups, leg raises, like these crazy challenging exercises that you're using this big, powerful muscle of the abdominals. But if you don't have those small muscles to support the movement, your form is total crap and you have no idea that it's really bad. <laughs> and what happens is you end up with problems like abdominal separation because you're working these really powerful muscles before you're working the, the abdominal muscles when that could be the weak spot in that pop can or you're doing these very very intensive exercises and your pelvic floor could be giving out it could be getting weak you could ex be experiencing leaking when really it's not to say that you have to stop doing everything and the only thing you can do are kegels and the really really light easy stuff you can absolutely incorporate some abdominal work, but it has to be in a progressive fashion versus jumping straight to the challenging ones. Because you really need to be able to control your pelvic floor and your inner abdominals or your transversal abdominals, TVA or TA, before you progress to doing those heavy, heavy abdominal work. Yeah, perfect. So with someone who uh, is post-pregnancy, maybe doesn't have I don't know if it'll differ. So you'll be able to tell me this, whether they do have symptoms or not when they're doing, so Kegels contracting that pelvic floor muscle, when, you know, they tell you to lie down or do it while you're brushing your teeth, how would you tell someone to fit it into their day? And I, you know, you hear random things like do it 10 times a day, do it while you're washing the dishes, or is there something that's a bit more, you know, that's actually going to fit into your day without feeling like it's consuming everything? It's tough because I'll say in starting out, um, all women should be starting off with non-distractor, undistracted um, pelvic floor contraction exercises so that you can actually feel what you're doing. Because um, like you mentioned before, you can't actually see it. And what I see a lot of women doing is like, oh, I practice it while watching TV or while driving, and really your focus is not on that area at all. It's focusing on the other tasks. You just happen to be doing that, your exercises at the same time. And it doesn't take that much time. Usually anything that has to do with the rehab component might take five to 10 minutes of the day. So I'll say, do it before you get out of bed. Do it while nursing a baby, because um, usually you're not necessarily focused. You just have to be doing that action. Do it when you're not distracted, where you're not thinking about other things. You're actually focusing on what you're feeling. So you can actually feel the full contraction and you could feel the full release or relaxation of those muscles. From there, that's just the beginning. Then those types of exercises can be incorporated into standing activities. So they can be incorporated into standing and doing dishes because that's just advancing and progressing the exercise or they could be, pro be progressed into your actual workout plan. So now you're doing squats, let's work on your pelvic floor while doing squats. So it's really about adding it in to the workout. So it shouldn't really add on to the things that you have to do. 
Yeah. So as you progress through your journey of knowing what they are, understanding it, and then you can actually feel it, then it can become a part of your workout and not necessarily a part of just your normal day once you've got that down. Yes, exactly. No, that's really, really amazing. Okay. We have covered so many things today and I know I put a post out in my Facebook group asking what they wanted to hear. And pretty much the main thing was what is the pelvic floor? So we've covered so many things that I hope you listeners uh, have enjoyed. And also Vanessa explained everything in such a, a visual way as well, which I think is super important. So before I ask you the last question, I'd love for you to tell my listeners where they can find you, where they can find you as a coach and also on social media. Yeah, of course. I think the easiest way to find me is Instagram because <laughs> yeah. I feel like everybody's on Instagram and I can, I'm found at core strength mama and that's M O M M A. Uh, I know there's tons of different ways to spell like mama. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm also, I have a website, the inspired action method.com. You can flip through there and see how you can work with me. I always open up my DMS to anybody who has questions at all. Cause I can understand they can be really, really personal and understand that anything that anybody messages me is something that I take as a confidential conversation and that nothing is ever too much information. It's never, there's never any judgment behind that because what I, what I find is a lot of people are just scared to talk about what they're struggling through and they think they're the only ones. When in reality, the one symptom that you might be having could be like, Oh, I know exactly what the problem is. Here's what you need to do. That's absolutely amazing. So for pelvic floor, the unknown, the gray area for most of us, what is the one thing that you want women to take away from this episode and just the pelvic floor in general? Oh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) What do I, I would say it's part as, as anything that has to do with women, most of the things that, that is personal and unique to women is often ignored when it comes to the general public masses. And it's in our right, and it's what we should be doing to understand what our body does, what it is capable, and to even have a look of what down there looks like and what it can do when it comes to contracting those areas. Then having more control of that area will lead to a lot of benefits, not just around having children, but just in day-to-day life and being able to control the things that are important to life, like bladder, bowel, sex, and children. Yes, I love that. And just not be afraid to ask questions because that's how we're going to find out anything that is maybe normal in your stressing about, or if something's wrong, you'll then know you need to go and get it checked out. So I think that's really important. So you did an incredible job of explaining all of this. And I'm sure a lot of the ladies may be feeling overwhelmed, but they do (laughs) now, you know, we went through all different stages. They have Um, they have a lot of information now to see where they are and maybe what their next steps are if they do need to take any. So thank you so much for joining me. And I'm sure all of the listeners are going to love this episode. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me again, Christina.